welcome back to the official 49ers You've Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. I'm excited for this week's podcast for a number of reasons. Well, reason number one, it is game week. We are finally entering into the 2020 regular season, despite not having preseason and all the craziness that's gone on over the last few months. But also, excited with for my guest today, I am joined by, from The Athletics, David Lombardi. Uh, you can catch him on Twitter at Lombardi himself. No one else, just him, Lombardi himself. David, how's it going? Uh, how excited are you to see a game? <laughs> You know, even just watching practice felt like there was some normalcy coming back as far as the football schedule went. So the game, I think, is is going to be a real blessing after all these months of just talking about football and speculating about what the 49ers may do, what they may do here, what they may do there. You know, with, with a good team, it, you, there's more scrutiny involved in that situation, right? So I feel it's been double torture for 49ers fans because a they do have that good team so you do scrutinize and over scrutinize things and b they're coming off of a super bowl loss and that's when you really just want to get back out there and uh, that's going to happen on september 13th and, and and i do think they're going to pull this off and i think the nfl's done a great job uh not, not enough people are talking about that in my opinion i think that so far the nfl and the 49ers uh, obviously part of that effort have done uh, what they need to do to make sure they can pull this off this season. There's still a lot of hard work ahead, but boy, am I excited to watch some football on September 13th. Tell me about it. 49ers hosting the Arizona Cardinals Sunday, as David said, September 13th. I mean, there's a ton of storylines we can talk to going into the season, but I think this is a great opportunity for us to just kind of go through this roster. 49ers set their roster. They trimmed their roster down to 53 men, uh, practice squad. They got 16 guys, uh, which I feel like, Right now, practice squad has been is more important than it has ever been, given the circumstances of COVID. Um, it's improved from sixteen or ten players to now sixteen, and that also includes six veteran players with unlimited experience. It wasn't like that years prior. Uh, one guy I can pull out as an example, everyone's been talking about is Jonathan Cyprian, who was a veteran now going into his eighth NFL season. At first, he said practice squad wasn't necessarily an option, and now change of heart on the team's practice squad. So before we dive into the actual roster, were there any surprises for you when looking at how this 53 took shape or this practice squad took shape? Well, I'll tell you what, with Jonathan Cyprian, I think that's great insight into the building that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have been running because Cyprian actually said that to the media when somebody asked him about two weeks ago, would you consider joining the practice squad? And he flat out said no. Based on what we've heard after, Kyle Shanahan called Jonathan Cyprian into his office right after that happened, right? So he, he brought him into his office right after that happened and said, hey, it, it, this is something that we really want to change your mind on. This is something that's really important to us because this season, like you said, the practice squad is a different equation than it has been in the past. And there's been a stigma in the past, and there probably still is among some players in the league, that the practice squad is, uh, you know, something that, especially as a veteran, uh, you would never consider doing. Obviously, there are now those six veteran spots, but it's much more of a taxi squad this year. There's a chance to call a player up for a game or two during the regular season while still keeping him on that practice squad salary. So uh, that means they're much closer to being a part of that 53-man roster 
than they ever were. And then obviously a promotion can happen at any time to the regular roster if they're already in the building and learning the system. So I think the fact that Kyle Shanahan went out of his way, brought Jonathan Cyprian in, had a talk with him, kept the line of dialogue open, made sure that, you know, the communication was good. I thought that was extremely indicative of, of how well this 49ers regime has, you know, fostered just a positive environment in the building that doesn't judge a player if, if he uh, has concerns about something, doesn't like a certain idea, but sits there and talks to him, maintains a good relationship with him. And then now you have what I would consider a surprise. Jonathan Cyprian, less than two weeks after flatly saying no to being on the 49ers practice squad, is a key member of that practice squad. And there's a good chance they're going to need him on the 53-man roster this year, given injuries and obviously all of the COVID stuff. So for me, that was, you know, it, it might just be one player. But for me, that was very indicative of a healthy organization and of a healthy organizational structure. And that's really going to be needed for the 49ers this year. Um, as far as surprises, though, for the 53-man roster, uh, I think there was only one to me, and that, that was Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, who had an awesome training camp, right, at, at linebacker. We saw that pick six. I didn't think he was going to make the 53, though. He made it, and, and I think he's there to stay, uh, based on what John Lynch has said. They really love his story, converted safety. So he brings a DB mindset to the linebacker room, which is, you know, one of the qualities of uh, every guy in that linebacker room. The 49ers are so good in coverage. At linebacker, now they're going to have six of those guys who can go out and cover. I want to dig into the linebacker position in just a few moments, but I mean, great insight, David Lombardi at Lombardi himself. I, I always say this, like I appreciate your your articles, especially your tweets. I follow you and, and all the time I'm, I'm liking and I'm retweeting because it's great insight. How long have you been covering the team, David? Well, I was lucky enough to come aboard right when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch took over in 2017. And there's nothing quiet like, being able to chronicle the build of something that's turning out to be something great for the 49ers. I mean, they've already won an NFC championship in dominant fashion, and it only took them three years to do that. So when I came aboard in 2017, uh, it obviously was a whole lot different. But the thing is, I can say that it didn't feel that different. There's been a pervasively positive mood in the building throughout. I know you can vouch for that, too. And I think that's one of the reasons why the 49ers were able to to turn it around so quickly. Absolutely. I want to talk about no preseason. You get these guys that are coming into camp. They're coming off of an offseason where these guys aren't in the building. Sometimes the guys are here for the offseason workout programs beginning in April, and they're there through June coming back to training camp. But now you have these guys, they're essentially working from home. They're meeting virtually. They get here to camp. Camp is kind of compacted into three to four weeks, and now you're heading right into week one. How does not having a preseason in your eyes, how did that change this evaluation period for, let's say, some of the guys like a Jamichael Hasty, who we'll get into a little more, uh, a little down the line, but guys like that who there could have been other teams out there that were eyeing him, but you have no tape. You can only go off of what you've seen from college. I think that it mattered most for the running back position, hands down, because you could simulate everything else on a football field, you can simulate blocking uh, even without full live contact. But the one thing that you can't fully, simula fully simulate and you just don't know, and Kyle Shanahan is really honest about this, is, uh, is breaking tackles, making full tackles. 
and the breaking tackles half of that equation, I guess, is the, really the toughest to, to evaluate because you've got these shifty guys who just, you know, make a living off of shedding these tackles. And whereas the linebackers can do all of their tackling drills on mats and, and, and really, you know, show how good that form is and, and how disciplined they can be in such situations. For guys like running backs, there is no tackling map that you can get away from, right? And the 49ers decided not to go fully live in uh, any of their practices as far as tackling went this year. So I think that a guy like Jamichael Hasty, we just don't know how good he is because that elusiveness and that ability to stay on the ground and, and continue turning his legs is such an important part of his job. So for me, that was a double-edged sword. I thought that uh, the 49ers couldn't afford putting him on their 53-man roster without knowing such a big, you know, piece of the equation for a running back. But at the, on the other end of the spectrum, when they waived him, other teams also couldn't risk a 53-man roster spot on a guy that they didn't know. And the 49ers, I think, to their credit, this was a benefit of Kyle Shanahan deciding not to do fully live tackling that meant that he was able to get Jeff Wilson on the 53 man roster as the final running back. But because they didn't have any practices that were fully live to the ground, no media reports about Jermichael Hasty's ability to break tackles in an actual live situation were, you know, possible to be generated. So that way they were able to stash him on the practice squad. So I think he, obviously the 49ers wanted to avoid injuries with, with uh, their tackling policy. But I think it was also a good chess move or a good poker move maybe on Kyle Shanahan's part to, to also avoid that as much as possible because he was able to keep a guy like Hasty on that practice squad. That's a great point that you just pointed out. I, I wanted, let's just dive right into the uh, roster. I was going to go through a few more questions, but I feel like we're already kind of getting right into the mix of things. Um, and we can just keep going with running back. I feel like this roster, there weren't too many surprises. You know, everyone kind of does their 53 projections. And and for the most part, I feel like there weren't too many wild cards. You may have had a guy here, like you said, Demetrius uh, Flanagan Fowles. He's one person. Um, but I feel like for the most part, you had a good idea of what this team was going to look like, which is completely different from both when you and I uh, began covering the team back in 2017. But let's keep going with running back. You got Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, Jarek McKinnon. We just talked about Jeff Wilson Jr. And I'm also going to throw Kyle Juszczyk, the full back into the mix. But Hasty got him onto practice squad. Anything stand out to you here with the running back position? I think that Jeff Wilson is a very underrated player who we need to keep an eye out for right off the bat in week one because he made a name for himself last year against the Arizona Cardinals when they came to Levi Stadium. And with every Kyle Shanahan running back, you have to look at the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And I thought that was a phenomenal story last year. That was a close game. The 49ers actually were behind big early. They had to come all the way back. And then they had a score at the end of the game to win it. And Jeff Wilson, he hadn't seen a snap all game long. He was on the bench all game long. And then because the 49ers had a little bit longer because of a timeout to change the personnel, Kyle Shanahan, as he did so often last year, you know, called the right number, had the right gut intuition about what was going to happen. He thought that Arizona was going to bring a, a very aggressive blitz. They brought cover zero. Wilson was in there for his first snap. To this day, it amazes me that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't see Jeff Wilson 
and Jeff Wilson didn't see Jimmy Garoppolo because of the pressure and the coverage on the play, but they connected for a touchdown. So Jeff Wilson did what a Kyle Shanahan back has to do. He made the catch in, you know, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, high intensity pressure at one of those moments where you can't drop the ball. And uh, I think that that ability that he brings to the back of the running back room, along with the fact that he's more of a power back than the other guys, Coleman, maybe a little bit of a power back, but not as much as Jeff Wilson, who really hits the hole, runs north and south, is able to, to score a lot of those red zone touchdowns in, in you know, physical spaces. I think that you have an excellent guy to round out that room. And I think that, you know, given the fact that the 49ers were able to get him onto the 53-man roster means that they have a, a running back room that they can delegate different types of responsibilities to different backs. And that type of versatility, we saw how effective it was for the 49ers last year. And I think they're absolutely going to be able to recreate it here in 2020. Crazy to believe a year ago from right now, Jeff Wilson Jr. was actually on the practice squad. I remember him not making the 53. And, and just like that, it was the injury to Tevin Coleman. Um, I, was it was it week one, week two? But injury to Tevin Coleman, uh, he was activated shortly thereafter. And I, I would love to say the rest is history. We know what he did uh, on the team being on that active roster and going back to that game in against Arizona at home. Um, all right. Quarterback position. I mean, there's no surprises really there. Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard. Um, we we can continue to to be down our expectations for Jimmy Garoppolo. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna avoid that one this time because I feel like we can. We've talked about him so much, and and he's always gonna be one of those 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 storylines and one of those players that is so polarizing. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna skip Jimmy, but I want to go now to the wide receiver position. We've got Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, Richie James, uh, Dante Pettis, Debo Samuel, and Trent Taylor. Both, I looked at uh, on The Athletic, you guys can check that out. Both David and I on our own 53 projections had Jawan Jennings on our 53. Uh, he was actually released but was signed to the team's practice squad. Um, as far as an update on Debo Samuel, John Lynch said this week that he has a shot to be available on week one uh he will be doing some the 49ers will be doing some some run-throughs with the doctors his doctor who's surgeon and also the team doctor uh see if he will be on hand and ready to go um 49ers are hopeful for brandon i to be available he was dealing with a hamstring injury uh leslie martin from Folsom, california wants to know who will be the 49ers number one receiver and when i i ask her question has he ever truly, and especially looking at this offense right now, has he ever had just a number one receiver? And do you see someone possibly taking that title this year? Well, I, I, there's the really subjective uh, notion of the number one receiver, which is what I think the, the question is about. And I think, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo has had that throughout his entire time with the 49ers, and it's George Kittle. You cannot stereotype receivers in this Kyle Shanahan offense. A total of 10 tight ends and wide receivers made the 53-man roster. And I think that you can't just look at the group of six wide receivers that made it or the group of four tight ends that made it. I think you have to look at them collectively because the 49ers will line tight ends up wide very frequently. Heck, they'll even line their fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, out wide something like 60 or 70 times last year. 
no other team is doing that with the fullback to that extent. And the 49ers are definitely doing it more than any other team. And now they're starting to get copied around the league because of the success. But with their tight ends, they're, they're lining these guys up everywhere. And we just saw it in George Kittle's new, you know, groundbreaking contract. It took a while for them to find that, that sweet zone because of the dynamics of the market. But the, you know, he's being paid like a wide receiver now, if you look at, 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 the, at the numbers of that deal. So George Kittle, if you're you know, just talking about that, that kind of elusive title, number one wide receiver, George Kittle is that guy for the 49ers. He is Garoppolo's primary target. If we're talking, technically speaking, leading pass catcher, as far as the amount of receptions in 2020 goes, my, my prediction is Trent Taylor. And that shocks a lot of people. But, I mean, you said you didn't want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, but we have to because we're talking about the receivers. I think if the 49ers do what Jimmy is built to do, what he's best at doing, he's got an unbelievably quick release. He throws extremely well in between the numbers. If, if Kyle Shanahan is able to capitalize on that and tailor the offense around that, then what you're going to see is an offense that runs through big tight ends or lining up a lot in the slot, maybe occasionally out wide. You saw New England do it back when they had Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez back in 2011 and 2012. And then to supplement those two tight ends, you're going to have a slot receiver who is open a lot on very quick slants and quick outs. Back in those years, New England in 2011 and 2012, their leading receiver was not Rob Gronkowski. It was Wes Welker. He had 120 catches per year in 2011 and 2012. And guess what? Wes Welker is a 49ers receiving coach. And Trent Taylor, even long before he even knew Wes Welker when he was at Louisiana Tech, people called him Wes. That's how, <laughs> that, 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 that's how much of a, a similarity in their two styles there is. You got two 5'8 slot receivers who are very good at getting open in quick, short area space and getting the ball from a quarterback with a quick release. Guess who was Tom Brady's heir apparent in New England? It was Jimmy Garoppolo. That's why Jimmy Garoppolo and Trent Taylor pair so well. And now that Trent Taylor is healthy again, I think the 49ers are going to try to run that, that Patriot-style tight end slash slot offense. And, and I think you're going to see Trent Taylor lead this team in catches, even if there are a bunch of short catches. He's going to lead this team in catches and really supplement the, the number one wide receiver who I think is George Kittle. If you remember last year, there were a lot of reports coming out. Everyone was talking about Trent Taylor's training camp, how he looked, how great he came back. And I feel like he and Jimmy picked up right where they left off last training camp. Uh, just, just so far through the practices, it just it seems seamless to me. It 100% is seamless, and there's a reason for that. It's no accident that Jimmy Garoppolo was 16 of 16 on slant passes to Trent Taylor in uh, 2017 in those five games. I mean, that was his bread and butter. I mean, everybody exploded once Garoppolo took over that year in December, but the rapport with Taylor is what got that started. Remember the game in Chicago? I think it was week 13 of that 2017 season. That was Garoppolo's debut, at least starting for the 49ers. The, the winning catch in that game was a third down crossing pattern over there to, to, to Trent Taylor, who was able to beat the nickel back, and off he went to set up the game-winning field goal for Robbie Gold. So when you have a player with the short area quickness that Taylor has, the ability to really just plant that foot, that right foot in or that left foot in, either one for him works. He's ambidextrous when it comes to the feet. I don't know what the word for that is, but he could line up on either side 
he could take that nickel back. If, if you're uh, unwise enough to put a, a, a safety on him, then, then it's completely over. But normally they'll have to bring in that nickel cornerback against Trent Taylor, and he can get open in a short amount of time against those guys. And Jimmy Garoppolo is great. I mean, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league at the, at the, at the quick release over the middle. That's his bread and butter. I mean, there are scouts that, that have said that his, his release might be the fastest in the league. So we can talk all day about perceived weaknesses that Jimmy Garoppolo has, but you can throw those all out the window if the 49ers are able to scheme an offense that, that, that gets receivers open to complement what Garoppolo does best. And it just so happens that Trent Taylor has that perfectly complementary skill set to him, and that's why we've seen them pick up, well, you know, pick up where they left off like nothing happened. Another question just on the wide receiver front. Ray Greppy from St. Pete Beach, Florida, wants to know, do you see the 49ers going after a guy like Mohamed Sanu? I feel like every time that a free agent or a player becomes available, you automatically get those questions. 49ers should get this person. They should sign this person. Sign this one. Uh, but Mohamed Sanu, uh, we know he had experience under Kyle Shanahan back in Atlanta, was just released by the Patriots. What's your take on that? Well, with Mohamed Sanu, you have a player who obviously saw great success with Kyle Shanahan back in 2016 when Shanahan was offensive coordinator there. Uh, I'm just not so sure that that Sanu isn't past his prime. You know, he is now an older receiver. He's coming off his worst career year with uh, New England last season. I I don't know if that's an indictment of Tom Brady getting old or or if it's more of an indictment of Sanu aging, but I think that there's probably concern with, uh, you know, both of those factors. I think both of those factors probably led to that because New England's passing offense uh, was not good last year, even after they were able to acquire Sanu. And there's a reason why they didn't want to keep him around anymore this season. And I think the 49ers are wary of that. I think that they're watching the film. And I think that uh, they're also much happier with the state of their receiving core right now than they were last year when they had to go out and trade for Emmanuel Sanders because they have a guy like Trent Taylor, healthy and available. Because you have a player like Kendrick Bourne now with a year more of seasoning ready to take on a larger role because you know what Debo Samuel can do. So I absolutely think that the Emmanuel Sanders trade was necessary for the 49ers last year. And I do think that it's had a carryover effect and that the young guys like Bourne and Debo Samuel are a year wiser and a year better. And that means there's a whole lot less need for the 49ers to go out and get a receiver who very well might be over the hill based on what last season's performance indicated. So, no, I, I don't see the 49ers going and making a move on that front unless we see a rash of injuries. And to be honest, we haven't seen that yet. These guys are all expected to be back or uh, you know have a very good chance to be back for week one. So let's not act like this team – is all too beaten up, and I know there's a lot of panic on social media. That's what I'm responding to. Until this team is not healthy week one, let's, you know, let's pump the brakes a bit because the goal of the training staff has been to get the, re- the team ready for week one, not for week zero or, or the end of training camp. They're all shooting for that week one return date, and when, when you consider that, the receiving core looks, uh, looks fairly complete right now for the 49ers. I love that. Well put. Uh, calming that it's it's like the hysteria that when one there's a soft tissue injury and then there's hysteria all across social media. But I think a lot of us forget that that 
there, this is football. There will be injuries. You can guarantee that's going to happen. And it's not just in this building. It's happening everywhere. You're looking around the league and seeing some guys going down. Um, it, it, that's what comes with this game. But, again, not preparing for week zero. I love that you said that. Preparing for week one. Uh, jumping over to tight end. We just talked about this a little earlier. We talked about Jimmy Garoppolo's number one receiver, George Kittle, 49ers star tight end. In addition, we've got Ross Dwelly, Jordan Reed, the newcomer veteran Pro Bowl uh, tight end. And then also Ricky Charlie Warner, who was a standout run blocker in college. Uh, George Kittle said he wants to see four tight end sets. Uh, I'm sure Kyle Shanahan got that notice. But uh, left tackle Trent Williams said that this might be the best unit in the NFL. I want to ask you, David, what does the addition of both Jordan Reed having that veteran presence helping take some of that pressure off of George Kittle. What does he add to this offense? And then also, I want to talk about Charlie Warner and what he does as well. Well, after the draft, I called up Charlie Warner's high school coach over from Georgia because like George Kittle, Charlie Warner was known as a blocker in college, but he didn't catch many passes. I mean, we're, we're talking about 30 or 40 catches throughout his whole entire college career. So. I wanted to know what this guy might bring as a receiver because I really knew that Kyle Shanahan has, you know, over his time with the 49ers, the one thing that he's lacked, and I know that he really wanted to develop this offseason, was the ability to catch the ball and be a receiving threat from the blocking tight end role, right? You have George Kittle, who's obviously a blocking tight end, but he's the receiving tight end. You also have that wide tight end, that guy who's in line more often, who's a blocking specialist. And, you know, in the past, we've seen Garrett Selleck uh, do that role. Last year, we saw Levine Tololo do that role. But it hasn't been that great of a receiving threat. So Levine Tololo only caught one or two passes last year. And Garrett Selleck catching passes downfield became, you know, it was such an abnormality within the scheme of the offense that the 49ers developed the whole celebration called Selleck time to, to, to celebrate it, right? The 49ers want to turn that into regularity. They don't want Selleck time. They, they, they don't want it to be Warner time. They want Warner to catch so many passes that, that it's something that you expect, that it's not something that everybody goes crazy about every single time the guy catches a 10-yard pass. So, so I really wanted to, to find out if Warner had that type of ability since he wasn't really used that way in Georgia. And his high school coach went out and said that this guy could be the next Rob Gronkowski. I mean, I'm quoting him. I think the exact, you know, so I don't get the words wrong, was Charlie Werner is a player who can develop into a Rob Gronkowski-type player. That obviously made my jaw drop. You know, you're like, oh, is this hyperbole? You know, what's going on here? And, and then he sends me a video of Charlie Werner uh, just doing a standing backflip. Like, he just jumps up and does a backflip uh, without, you know, even having to, to, to step into it. And then you realize that this guy is 6'5", you know, 250 pounds, and he's doing stuff like that. And then you go and watch him at training camp, and he's starting to high point footballs on passes over the seam in a way that we did not see Garrett Selleck do at all with the 49ers. We didn't see uh, Livian Toilolo do that. And, you know, he's not as fast as George Kittle. This is more of a 4'7'40 instead of a 4'5'40. But the pure athleticism outside of the speed Ability to high point the ball, ability to get open on cuts is awesome, to be honest. I mean, he had a huge camp. So I think that with Charlie Werner, you are looking at a guy who can develop into a very credible NFL receiving threat. And that can, that can really revolutionize the 49ers offense. 
Because like you said, Jordan Reed, this is already a, a Pro Bowl, all-pro level type of uh, receiver when he's healthy at tight end. Add that to Kittle and then add a third one. I don't know about four tight end sets, but I see this team running some three tight end sets this year for sure. And, and that's going to be hard to defend because defenses around the NFL have gotten smaller over the years. They've gotten smaller and faster. 49ers are counterpunching by getting bigger and faster with these tight ends. And I think that's where Shanahan is really a step ahead of the game. I would love to see a guy like Charlie Warner being that dual threat, not only as a blocker, but also as a pass catcher. And then you remember George back at Iowa, what, what he had maybe 48 total catches over his four years at Iowa. Um, so who knows? 49ers could have another gym in a guy like Charlie Warner. Uh, I'm going to jump to the O-line. I talked about um, Trent Williams a few seconds ago, but you have Trent, you have Mike McGlinchey as your two tackles, Daniel Brunskill, Tom Compton, Ben Garland, Colton McKivitz, and Justin School. Uh, Center Weston Richburg will start the season on PUP. Uh, we talk a lot about versatility. Uh, I feel like that is a must, especially looking at this O-line and dealing with injuries. But the big question was who starts at right guard? Now with Weston potentially, well, Weston going to miss some games into the season. You also have Ben Garland who's dealing with an ankle injury. Who's at center? Who's at right guard? Well, the 49ers certainly hope that it's Ben Garland at center and Daniel Brunskill at right guard. And, you know, you're absolutely right to, to be focusing on those two positions because I thought that was the 49ers' weakness down the stretch last year. I thought that better performance there, better health there, uh, probably would have meant a Super Bowl championship for this team, and, and it didn't. You know, with all the blame that is thrown Jimmy Garoppolo's way for that fourth quarter, just put on the film, and you'll see the 49ers getting dominated inside by Chris Jones, who's obviously one of the best players in the NFL. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the reality of the NFL. When you play huge games, you're going to go up against great players and those great players are going to create fracture points. And you have to counter with performances of your own at those fracture points to make sure you neutralize those great players. So if the 49ers want to beat the Chiefs this year, or if they want to beat any elite team this year, they're going to have to get better performance at center and right guard, especially in pass protection. So Ben Garland was good last year, especially run blocking wise. He was middle of the pack when it came to pass protection. Um, but again, that, that that's, I think a phenomenal performance for a backup center. 49ers hope to get Weston Richburg back, back and fully healthy after week six. And when that guy has been healthy, that was before his time with the 49ers with the Giants. He was a top three pass protector at center. So the 49ers have a reinforcement coming. The goal, I think, for the training staff needs to be to make sure not to rush this guy back, make sure this guy, Richburg, comes back and is able to be at 100% for basically the first time his 49ers tenure because I think that would solve a whole lot of problems up front. And then the hope is that Daniel Brunskill, who was awesome last year, starting at uh, left tackle, right tackle, and then uh, right guard. He didn't give up a single pressure against Seattle in week 17. I mean, th this guy, he's, he's been all over the line. He's been taking center snaps here in a pinch during training camp. But I think the 49ers really believe that his home can be right guard and he could be the answer at that position for this team. So, you know, they don't want any further injuries. They want Garland back from that ankle injury. Then they want Richburg back. And I think that the key is that if those two guys can man center, Brunskill doesn't have to mess around at center. Brunskill can focus on right guard. And that solves a whole lot of the issues that the 49ers saw last year and may solve some of the heartbreak they saw last year in the Super Bowl. 
Manscaped is the official below-the-waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. I'm going to switch over. We are washing our hands with the offense. We're going to head our way to the defense, starting with one of the most exciting positions. Everyone's so excited to talk about some of these names, and rightfully so, looking at what they did last year. I'm talking about the defensive line. Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, D. Ford, Kevin Givens, Kerry Hyder, DJ Jones, Javon Kinlaw, Kentavious Street, and Solomon Thomas. A couple names I definitely want to highlight in there. Uh, 49ers aim to have uh, Nick Bosa and D. Ford on hand for week one. Both missed the latter half of training camp with injuries. Uh, speaking of Ford, 49ers restructured his contract over the weekend. Uh, people are assuming, uh-oh, something big must be coming up down the pipeline. But what's your take? What's your idea behind that? Well, you look at the larger situation here, and the 49ers are about to enter a very potentially compromising time for a team that is in contention because the salary cap, which is tied to league revenues, is very likely going to tumble in 2021 because fans won't be in the stands. And obviously, essentially every business in the world right now has been affected by what's happened this year. So the 49ers entered... Uh, this you know whole COVID thing uh, with their future projections indicating or predicting that the salary cap in 2021 was going to be somewhere between 215 and 220 million dollars. Well, now the floor for the salary cap in 2021 has been set at 175 million dollars. Maybe the NFL will be able to recoup some of the potentially lost revenue. Maybe it won't go all the way down to 175 million dollars, but. I think everybody has to budget and has to act as if it will, you know, otherwise you could really leave yourself in a, in a very vulnerable and compromised position. So the difference between 175 million and 215 million is vast. I'm not a math person, but I think that's 40 million or so dollars. And the 49ers are doing and have done whatever it takes to be able to put themselves into a better position next offseason when they have so many players who are free agents that they're going to need to re-sign so so, so they're not over budget because as of right now they don't have much 2021 cap space at all so remember the cap space here in 2020 carries over to 2021 if you don't use it so by restructuring D Ford's contract right now opening up 9.5 million in new space the 49ers will be able to port some of that money over and do some of the expensive business that they have on the agenda in 2021. And, you know, that's extend Trent Williams. Maybe you want to extend Richard Sherman. I mean, the whole secondary is going to need an extension next year. They don't have any DBs under contract except for Jimmy Ward past that season. So uh, it's going to be one of those. Carmen Policy, who was the former 49ers president and general manager, back in 94 when the 49ers built their super team and the salary cap first came out, that's exactly what he had to do. The 49ers essentially invented this. They were the first team to be able to work the cap by, by giving a bigger signing bonus as part of a restructure so the cap hits are spread out over future years. And the Niners did that back in 94. It changed the way that the NFL worked. They set the example. Everybody copied them. Well, now, 25, 26 years later, because of this whole cap crunch due to COVID, the 49ers have to do the same thing. Carmen Policy said about 94, he said it was like dancing through raindrops. Well, the 49ers are going to have to dance through raindrops again if they're going to keep this roster together. 
and the, the D Ford move, you can expect more like that. They're part of that. And what they, they require an ownership that is committed to the football team financially. 49ers have that because you have to pay the guy the 9.5 million, or I think with in D Ford's case, it was 13 million signing bonus. You, you have to be willing to pay him all that money at once. Not every team is able or willing to do that, but the 49ers are, and that, that's what's going to allow them to, to work the cap here a bit and get through these tough times. We're talking about dollars, and the 49ers were forced to, their hand was essentially forced to trade away a guy like DeForest Buckner. Um, it, it's hard to pay a guy like that when you, you have so many other guys to take care of. Um, you actually wrote something about, or similar to this, uh, on The Athletic, and you're talking about how do the 49ers replace a guy like Defoe? It's not going to be just on one guy, your Javon Kinlaw. It's going to take effort from basically every guy you've got here to help pick up that load. But I want to talk about the interior guys, guys like Solomon Thomas, who has had a great training camp, uh, Kentavia Street, Kevin Givens. What did you see out of some of these guys uh, at camp? Well, the, the depth along the interior defensive line is going to be excellent this year. And that's actually an area of the team and an area of the defense that I think is clearly already improved over 2020. And 40, that, that's the thing the Fort Anders need. That's not just a luxury because you have lost DeForest Buckner. So when you lose your frontline three technique along the interior of that line, uh, it, you're not going to be, especially if it's a star of Buckner's caliber, it's unrealistic to think that one player is going to replace him. The 49ers in the long run do hope that Javon Kinlaw replaces DeForest Buckner's productivity at that three technique spot. But Buckner obviously is an all pro. Kinlaw's a rookie. Kinlaw is a very different skill set than Buckner, whereas Buckner came into the league uh, as a player who, you know, had the pass rush technique moves but needed to learn how to anchor. Kinlaw has come into the league as a player who, doesn't really have the pass rush technique moves, but he already knows how to anchor, and he's 300, he's, he's 30 pounds heavier than DeForest Buckner. So you're going to get more of a run stopper at first from Javon Kinlaw. You're probably going to lose uh, a lot of the pass rushing punch that DeForest Buckner gave you. Therefore, the depth on the interior is going to have to supplement whatever Kinlaw gives you so that you don't lose too much from the Buckner departure. And that's where Solomon Thomas bulking up from 265 pounds to over 280 pounds so he can be exclusively on the inside comes in. That's where Kentavious Street's amazing surge coming off of a, a really tough ACL tear in 2018 comes in. I mean, Street has looked like a, a completely different player, and his teammates say that he's made the biggest jump of all the defensive linemen. Uh, and, and that's where that's where uh, Kevin Givens comes in. Also, don't forget Kerry Hyder, big signing, came out of Dallas, knows Chris Kassar from his time in Detroit. You know, you talk to guys who know the defensive line. They say that Kerry Hyder is one of the toughest linemen in football. He's not going to be a flashy lineman, but he's exactly what the 49ers need. He's like a Ronald Blair who can play everywhere, except Ronald Blair's, I think, natural home is, is on the edge, on the outside. Kerry Hyder can play everywhere, but his natural home is on the inside. So between those four guys... And then you throw a healthy DJ Jones in the mix, and he's amazing athletically. I mean, that's a nose tackle of three technique athleticism, which just doesn't grow on trees. You know, between all those guys, and then, you know, you hope that Javon Kinlaw starts sprouting into a star by the end of the year. Well, I think the 49ers have a lot of weapons to play with on that interior defensive line. And by the time all is said and done, if, if they play their cards right and they've got a great uh, coach in Chris Kacerek to, to, to shuffle those cards around in the middle, 
they can be better than last year on the defensive line simply because depth is so important. Yeah, uh, that's something that's very exciting to see. How can this team, uh, with the depth pieces, with another year, uh, aside from some of the new guys, but another year uh, under Chris Kasarik, how this group can take another step forward, uh, that's one of the – I feel like one of the things that I'm looking forward to most when, when – looking ahead to this 2020 season um jump into linebackers all right we have quan alexander i have fred warner i have an asterisk by his name we'll get to in just a second dre greenlaw aziz al shair mark nazacha and demetrius flanagan fowles we talked about him at the top of the show uh warner warner is currently on the covid reserve list um lynch said the 49ers have seven linebackers that they're excited about the seven all the seventh includes veteran joe walker who is on the team's practice squad but how do you replace a guy like Fred should he not be on hand in week one? Well, the 49ers, the good news is they have three starting caliber linebackers on this team. So beyond Fred Warner, you have Quan Alexander and Dre Greenlaw. And you look at the way that the NFL is playing these days. Last season, the 49ers were in their nickel package 70% of the time. So nickel package means that you're taking your third linebacker off the field and you're putting Kwan Williams, who is a very high performer, onto the field. So uh, when the 49ers only, it, it, it only need two linebackers for 70% of the snaps, that automatically alleviates much of the crunch. And we actually saw that last season, right? When Quan Alexander went down with a torn pectoral muscle, Dre Greenlaw stepped right up from that third linebacker spot to the second linebacker spot and made the biggest play of the year for the 49ers in Seattle. So it's... It's a matter of depth at linebacker, and I think the 49ers really have it because they have those three starting caliber guys. But even if you have to go beyond that, say that you have another injury and Fred Warner is out, I think that's where Aziz Alshair comes in. And I think that we saw that when he started running with the first team there toward the end of training camp. Uh, this is a player who the 49ers obviously uh, were able to, I think, you know, just an under-the-radar gem, you know, hidden gem kind of signing. Uh, last season, really fast tackle machine in, in college, playing down there in Florida. And he, he he's coming along for the 49ers based on what I've seen in practice so far this season. So, I, I, like you said, they have bodies there. Demetrius Flanagan Fowles is a, another Aziz Alshair type uh, player, you know, as far as under the radar, undrafted, coming out of nowhere, uh, all of a sudden making the 53-man roster. So you have to like the fact they got three starting caliber guys and then potentially more in the pipeline beyond that. That is a very healthy looking position group for the 49ers. And again, the key is those guys can all cover. You can't say the same about a lot of teams in the NFL, especially within the 49ers division. Seattle, great linebackers five years ago, but those guys struggle to cover and, and Shanahan exposed them for it last year. I don't see the 49ers getting exposed in coverage on the second level with who they have a linebacker. I want to jump to the 49ers defensive backfield, and we're going to kick it off with cornerback. You were just talking about a nickel package. Well, Kaywan Williams in that mix. Richard Sherman, Akello Witherspoon, Jason Barrett, and Emmanuel Mosley. Same group returning from last year. Mike Turner from Canada wants to know, how do you expect the defensive backfield to take shape? And I'm, in particular, going to point at this right cornerback spot. Who starts opposite Richard Sherman? Well, it sounds like Emmanuel Mosley will have that lockdown. He might have had a lockdown before this, but I, I don't know. It, to me, it seemed the battle seemed a lot closer than some people are 
letting on between Mosley and, and Jason Verrett for the spot opposite uh, Richard Sherman. But uh, Jason Verrett has a minor hamstring strain right now. It wasn't enough to keep him off of the initial 53-man roster. But what I think it will be is I think it will be enough to keep him out of that starting job, at least at the beginning of the season, right? Cornerback. Beyond that, I also think that Jason Verrett is more versatile than a guy like Emmanuel Mosley. And I think that Jason Verrett can easily slide over to the slot and be the 49ers slot corner in case Kwan Williams and his calf strain lingers, or in case the 49ers need a dime back matched up one-on-one against the speedy slot type wide receiver, and look what's happening week one. Arizona is going to come in with about 1 million wide receivers on their roster with Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury and, and his offense and Kyler Murray throwing to them. I mean, it's going to be a college-style Big 12 offense the 49ers have to face week one. It, it, do not be surprised if the 49ers counter by putting a ton of cornerbacks on the field. It's not just going to be about Sherman and whoever plays right cornerback, probably Emmanuel Mosley. It's going to be about your auxiliary depth at corner. And that's going to mean bringing K1 Williams out on the field to cover somebody in the slot. And if that second slot needs to be covered, I think Jason Verrett is probably that guy for the 49ers. So, um, you know, football is changing now. You know, it, it's obviously not been three yards in the cloud of dust for several years. But now the college game, especially with a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, is moving into the NFL as far as scheme goes. And that means that you're going to need a lot of DBs to keep up. And I think it's good that the 49ers are deep in the secondary for that very reason. And they'll be tested in that regard right out of the gate week one. Perfect segue, because I wanted to talk a little bit more about Jason Verrett. I want to know what have been your impressions of him throughout camp. We know that he was coming off of IR uh, last season, had an injury-ridden career, hoping that he can look like that 2015 Jason Verrett that we've all known and loved. But what have you seen out of him? Does he look back on par to – I'm not saying 2015, but does he, how does, how is he looking? Well, the recovery from an injury always has a physical and a psychological component. And I think that Jason Verrett might've been past the physical component last season. I don't think he was there psychologically yet. We obviously only saw him very briefly against Pittsburgh and that did not go well when he came in for Akello Witherspoon in week three. So that's where Emmanuel Mosley was really able to take control of that job at that point of the season. So uh, I, I think that Verrett still needed a little bit more time to get his, you know, head on right post injury and rediscover the attacking mentality that made him a pro bowler in San Diego. And I saw him with that attacking mentality during his training camp. I mean, several pass breakups, he was aggressive, he was physical. And again, he's physical without being the biggest guy. This is not your prototypical Richard Sherman-esque cover three corner, who's 6'2", 6'3", um, shoving guys around at the line of scrimmage, you know, almost bringing safety size to that cornerback position. This is uh, a cornerback built from, you know, the more old school, smaller frame, but still brings, when he's confident and well, still brings that same physical dog mentality to the cornerback position that this scheme needs. And I also also think that he brings that same physical dog mentality that is handy at a nickelback position, which is why I mentioned that he he would be versatile for that as well. Because at nickel, you need a smaller guy who's quick enough to keep up with the Trent Taylors of the world, right? So I, I really have have enjoyed watching Jason Verrett play this training camp. I think that you can see why he or how he made the Pro Bowl a few years back in his, in his game. 
Uh, and I think that if he stays healthy, and I know it's a huge if with a guy like Jason Verrett, if he stays healthy, this is going to be a guy that can really contribute for the 49ers this year. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the official below-the-waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. Let's wrap this up on defense with safety. Jimmy Ward, Jaquaski, Tart, Tarvarius, Moore, Marcel Harris. No, there's no Jamal Adams. No, there's no Earl Thomas. 49ers appear happy with the guys that they have. Tarvarius Moore looking to take strides. I mean, we've seen him and what he's done so far through camp, but what's been your impression of this group? You know, the, 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 the safety position for the 49ers is interesting because I think that a lot of people – go out and try to knock them for a lack of interceptions last year. When they, it, 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 there, There's a couple things at play. The 49ers' pass rush was so good last year that there were actually fewer interception opportunities than you would expect. You have to you, – you look at – the pass rushes are effective in gradients. So a terrible pass rush, and I'll be honest, the 49ers had a terrible pass rush, especially from the edge in 2017 and 2018, gives the quarterback enough time to bake a cake in the pocket and he's not going to throw many interceptions, and the safeties are in the cornerbacks, and everybody's really hung out to dry, so you won't see the turnover numbers. At the opposite end of the spectrum is a completely overpowering pass rush, one that doesn't even give a quarterback a chance to, A, throw the ball, or, B, make a catchable pass, even one that's catchable for the defense. And the 49ers actually had one of those. They went from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, and that, that wasn't necessarily good for the safety stat sheet. I mean, it's obviously good for the team, but when people in this fantasy football era world always trying to look at the amount of interceptions a guy has, the 49ers pass rush was so overpowering last year that, that there just weren't that many opportunities for Jaquaski Tart and, and Jimmy Ward. You almost have to have a slightly worse pass rush, but one that's good enough to force the quarterback into dumb decisions to rack up those, those turnover numbers. So uh, it, I wouldn't read too much into you know, some of the criticism that Tart and, and, and Ward have gotten. And that led to a lot of fans clamoring for Jamal Adams and Earl Thomas. I think the 49ers think that, that they're, especially on the Earl Thomas front, I think they're better off with Jimmy Ward. Jamal Adams is obviously a generational talent. So, I mean, what team wouldn't want to have a guy like that? But Jaquaski Tart is a really good player and comes at a much better cost than Jamal Adams. And I think he'll get his as far as the turnovers go. It just may not be as many as you'd expect, and that's through no fault of his own. That's because the 49ers are straight-up dominant along the front. And as long as guys like Tart and, and Ward play within the scheme, do their jobs to complement that pass rush, that is all the 49ers can ask for and all they'll need. This defense will remain very good as long as they play within the scheme, and those turnovers will come when they're supposed to come. I want to go back to the last two position groups that we talked about. Christopher Smith from New Orleans wants to know, do you think that the 49ers secondary is good enough to get back to the Super Bowl? Uh, the 49ers secondary is absolutely good enough to get back to the Super Bowl. It didn't really have holes last year. I mean, there's there's uh, maybe I'm reading too much into, into some of these questions, but I'm, I am obviously – always getting a pulse of, of how people feel. And when I'm on, you know, Twitter, you always, people start to say, oh, well, the secondary is this weak link because Patrick Mahomes came in with seven minutes left and, you know, uh, threw into one busted coverage, picked up 45 yards of Tyree Kill and 
the secondary, you know, wasn't able to stop the Chiefs and preserve the Super Bowl win. But to me, that's all recency bias. Uh, yeah, it, especially the Super Bowl is this great cultivator of recency bias. I, I get it. If you don't get it done in the Super Bowl, people are going to be doubly or triply or quadruply upset. And it's going to, you know, just feed that fire. And it's going to be it's going to be a lot of disappointment. Everybody wants to point fingers, throw blame. But, uh, you know, let's let's put that into perspective. Let's look at the overall body of work, not just through the regular season, but also through the playoffs to get to the 49ers to the Super Bowl. That was the number two secondary or pass defense, I guess I should say, in all football behind only the New England Patriots. You looked at all the advanced numbers. You look at what Jaquaski Tart gave up in coverage, what Jimmy Ward gave up in coverage. You look at the all-pro season that Richard Sherman put together. You know, one bad play, one you know, getting beaten once, as Richard Sherman did by Watkins in the Super Bowl, does not negate an all-pro season. It does not mean that Richard Sherman needs to start thinking about moving to safety. I mean, I think it's just asinine to look at one snap when you have 500 other snaps to look at. And, you know, just because that snap came most recently. So um, I, I don't, you know, I don't want mean to offend the questioner. I don't want to read too far into the question, but you have an entire season of data that showed that the 49ers secondary was in number two in all football. And, you know, with guys still developing and progressing, has a good chance to be number one this season. So, of course, it's good enough to go back to the Super Bowl. You cannot look at the last seven minutes of one game, even if it was the Super Bowl, and think that, you know, that is not true. It, it, just, it just doesn't make any sense. So the, the 49ers are good enough. A lot of what happens in the Super Bowl this year, if they do make it back and play a Patrick Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson, to be honest, is going to be reliant on their offense. They can't start stalling in the fourth quarter again because your best defense is very often a good offense, especially in this modern-day NFL. The defense and the secondary for the 49ers is hands-down good enough to get the job done. I think they're hands-down good enough to get the job done last year. Some things just didn't fall their way at the end of the season. David Lombardi at on Twitter, at Lombardi himself. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight, your knowledge. Uh, I couldn't think of a better guest to kind of break down this 53-man roster than you. So I appreciate your time. Um, any, any parting words you have for us? Well, I think it's going to be a great season for the 49ers. It may be weird. Hopefully we'll have some fans allowed uh, by the end of the season, maybe even at, at Levi Stadium. And, uh, you know, any sense of normalcy, I think, would be good for the 49ers this year because this was a team that was, might have been a year ahead of schedule last year. They, they uh, you know, are still on the upswing. You could still feel that roster maturing into a really dominant force. And, and for their sake, and really just for everybody's sake, you want – as fair of a fight as possible in the NFL. You want every season to be determined without feeling there was an asterisk there because, oh, there were no fans, people didn't care as much, blah, 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 whatever. Well, the 49ers are on their ascendancy right now. They're, you know, one could argue they should be Super Bowl favorites this year based on the roster, based on the trajectory. So you just want to see a normal season go off to see if they actually, you know, deserve that preseason hype to see if, uh, you know, the, the, this is what the team is actually about. You don't want outside factors to go in, especially unprecedented outside factors to go in and, and mess that up. So I think we all just need to cross our fingers and, and, and hope that uh, the situation and the policies and, and all this and all that uh, are conducive to, to a season that's well played and allows 
the 49ers to show us what they've really got because we have spent months talking about this and now it's finally time to see it. And, and I'm really, really curious and I'm very, uh, I'll be very engaged because I, I've speculated about this for too long. I just need to see this team take the field and play some football. I feel like the fans are very excited to hear that they have the exact same feeling, the exact same sentiment. My colleague, David Lombardi, you can find him again at Twitter at Lombardi himself with The Athletic. We appreciate your time. Uh, David, we'll have to have you again sometime this season, and, and we'll have to do something like this again, chat a little bit about what's going on. Anytime. You know, I love doing it. Thanks, David. Have a good week. Thank you.